My name is Nick. I'm the associate minister here, and we are so glad to be worshiping the living God with you on this Palm Sunday. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, as the crowd shouted Hosanna to you as you entered Jerusalem on that day, so we have cried Hosanna to you that you might save us, save us this day. And so we pray that you would do that work through your word as well, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts and minds to know and understand what it is that you offer to us. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. These are the shouts which mark Jesus' so-called triumphal entry into Jerusalem the peaceful donkey ride to the place of his execution as crowds gather to shout words of praise and adoration to their Lord and King. This is the journey which much of the church around the world marks this day on Palm Sunday, a high point in Jesus' life and ministry where his peaceful reign seems to be recognized, acknowledged, and joyfully welcomed. And he should be joyfully welcomed. He comes not on a war horse, but on a donkey. He comes not to conquer, but to make peace. He comes to Jerusalem not as the Babylonians once did, not as King Cyrus did, not as Alexander the Great did, not as the Romans had, not even as the Crusaders, Egyptians, or Ottomans sometime will. But he comes to Jerusalem peacefully. Jerusalem was a city acquainted with conquest. It held a strategic position in that part of the world. If you wanted to control trade, you should probably control Jerusalem. And many people wanted to control Jerusalem. God is also jealous for Jerusalem. But he does not enter that city with the host of a heavenly army to supplant its leaders or to drive fear into these people's hearts. Rather, he comes desiring that he should be welcomed. He comes as the Prince of Peace, prepared to pay the price for peace. There is something refreshing and new in his entry into the city as the whole city asks of him, Who is this man? They've never seen anything like this before. Of course, it is after that joyful and festive parade into the city of Jerusalem that the events that we together have been looking closely at throughout the season of Lent take place. Shortly after that triumphal entry, Jesus is arrested. He is tried before the religious leaders denied by one of his closest friends, brought before the Roman authorities, beaten and made to carry his cross for an execution that is soon to follow. It is here that today's scripture reading places us. We are on a death march with Jesus out of the city. The tones of Jesus' entry and his exit from Jerusalem could not be more different. Mere days, days from Hosanna to crucify him. 
a sudden turn from shouts of joy to the bitter tears of these women. Now, given such a dramatic change in tone, we could not be faulted for imagining these two processions as being completely different things. That Jesus' journey was completed when he entered the city of Jerusalem, entered those gates, when he first ministered in the temple courts. And that now something has gone terribly awry. And this fateful march out to Golgotha is the undoing of what had been so joyfully recognized mere days earlier. This, however, is not the case. For Jesus, this is the same journey. When the crowds cried, when the crowds cried Hosanna as a cry of praise, he knew its original meaning. Save us. And that was just his intention. He rode into Jerusalem for the very same reason that he came into our world, that the world might be saved through him. And the way of that saving was always by the cross. That he now bears a cross on his shoulders only serves to open our eyes to what he has been aware of every step of the way. With every cry for help, with every shout of praise, with every whispered plot or declaration of faith, Jesus walked to the place of the skull for our sakes. But now, now tortured and weak and on his way to his death, the only difference between his entry to Jerusalem and this walk to the cross is that we can outwardly see what he has inwardly borne for us the entire way. Luke wants us to recognize this. This isn't meant to be hidden from us. We're not meant to keep going on believing that his triumphal entry and his walk to the cross are different things. Luke wants us to pull these things together. The gospel writer wants us to understand that this walk, this walk to the place of the cross, is in fact the culmination of Jesus' triumphal entry. That his triumph was never meant to be in the temple courts. It was never meant to be on Caesar's throne. But it was always intended for that tree of suffering. And the first thing we might notice in how Luke pulls these things together is that when Jesus first enters Jerusalem, the disciples shout out praise and the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke them. But he will not. Jesus affirms that praise is a proper response to what is happening. But then as he leaves the city, these women weep for him And he turns to rebuke them. He takes time, bloodied and weary, to pause and to rebuke these women, which nobody told him to do. Jesus will not rebuke those who praise him, but turns to correct those who weep for him. Why? Because only one is proper. He will not rebuke those who praise him, because even if they're not completely aware of why they're doing it, What they're doing is good, and it's true. He corrects those who weep for him despite the pain such a pause must have caused for him because to weep for him is to miss the point entirely. Jesus' death is not a thing to mourn. If it were, we should likewise grieve at Christmas that the one who being in very nature God emptied himself and took the form of a servant God emptied himself and took on flesh 
What a great lowering of his estate. What a tremendous loss. Yet we rejoice at Christmas and we don't grieve. We rejoice and we do not grieve because by this means we are saved. So too we do not grieve a death which is the victory of the Lamb who has been slain. Christ goes to his cross joyfully. No, I say joyfully, not gleefully. Even as he entered time and became human with much joy, because in this he was obedient to his Father. And by these things he frees even us who are his foes from the power of death. What have we, what have the women of Jerusalem to grieve? Truly nothing. Because his death is not the doing of Judas. It is not the work of the religious leaders, not the work of the empire Rome, not even accomplished by the power of sin and death. It looks as if evil strikes him, and if it had, we would grieve, for he is an innocent man. But this is only an appearance. He assures us no one can take his life from him, but he lays it down. We have no cause to weep for Jesus. Do not weep for me, Jesus says to these women, even as everything about him looks of sorrow and great pain, as the sight of death makes its appearance within him. They are not to weep for him. But Jesus doesn't tell them to sing joyful songs either. He affirms that tears are appropriate, but he redirects those tears. Do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, that might sound harsh. But here we can see the second way that Luke is drawing Jesus' entry in Jerusalem and his road to Golgotha together. Because Jesus wept for the children of Jerusalem as he entered the city. Jesus weeps for a city which does not know the cost of its peace weeps for those who still suffer at the hands of their enemies, who will not be saved though God walked by them on the streets and laid down his life that they might live. Jesus doesn't desire that the women of Jerusalem weep for him. Rather, he invites them to join him in the cause of his sorrow, that their hearts would be broken not for him, but for those who he suffers for, for them and for their children. Jesus continues to invite us not to weep for him, him who is now risen and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. What cause her tears is that? But to cry out in sorrow for those who yet still suffer, for us and for our children, for the weak and the vulnerable of this world who do not know freedom, who do not know joy, who do not know life. This is part of the work of Christ in his earthly ministry, in his suffering, and in his death. He invites us to look on sorrow. We don't like to look on sorrow. We avoid pain in our lives, and we do not linger to see it in the lives of others, in our city, in our world. In fact, we've often become numb to it. We're just so bombarded by suffering, it's lost all meaning to us when we see it at all. We can hardly stand to listen to the evening news. 
We can barely read the headlines anymore. How can we remain with one who suffers deeply and not be overwhelmed ourselves? As I was preparing for this sermon, some lines from Shakespeare, not scripture, continued to enter my head. In Shakespeare's play, King Lear, the king has this tremendous line where he says, you think I'll weep. No, I'll not weep. Storm and tempest, I have full cause of weeping, but this heart shall break into a hundred thousand flaws, or ere I'll weep. O fool, I shall go mad. Isn't that us sometimes? Hasn't Shakespeare held a mirror up to nature? We might call it toxic masculinity. I would say it's broken humanity. We have full cause of weeping, but we'd rather fall apart and bottle it all up or go crazy ignoring our sorrow than to simply weep, to look on the suffering of our world and our lives and to allow ourselves to actually feel it, to weep for ourselves, for our children, for the weak and the forgotten of this world. Jesus comes to us that we might learn to look on suffering as he does. In him to see the depth of all pain, to see the gruesome manner of his physical suffering, the the tremendous work of sin in all the world. Not all suffering looks like torn flesh and a mocking crown. Not all sorrow is so obvious as God hung on a tree. But if we can look at this, if we can look at Christ, perhaps we can begin to also look at the world as Jesus does. To see with his eyes the depth of the pain which exists in creation itself. And to weep not for the one who entered that world willingly, but rather for all those who remain ensnared by sin of their own or sin done against them. That we might truly weep for ourselves, and for our children. Now, even though no malicious work has power over Jesus, they sure seem to think they do. And as Jesus says, if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Jesus is the living wood, the true branch from which all fruitfulness comes. And Rome and the religious leaders, they know he's innocent and they do not object to these events in the least except to support their continued unfolding. Now the thing about Greenwood, maybe you know this if you've had a campfire before, is it doesn't burn particularly well. If you've ever tried to put living wood on a fire, you'll know that you get a lot of smoke and not much fire. But dead wood dry wood that easily catches flame Jesus is the living shoot and the fire doesn't really threaten him at all but what about for the rest of us the women are to grieve those who truly do suffer at the hands of the religious leaders who really are oppressed by the empire who are overcome by the work of darkness in our world So too, we are invited to weep for those who are today harmed by the church. Those who are marginalized and forgotten in our society. 
those who are caught up in sin, which destroys their lives. Jesus invites us to weep for those who do not choose to submit to the power of death in this world, as he did, but rather for those who are overcome by it, who have all these great evils imposed upon them. It has been a difficult week for considering evil, pain, and suffering in our world, even in our city. We have heard already too many stories of people, yes, even children, who continue to suffer at the hands of such great wickedness. As we enter this holy week, we do not need to weep for Jesus. He submitted himself to death and was raised by the power of the Spirit. Rather, we must weep for these innocents who continue to this day to suffer at the hands of death. Sixteen-year-old Gabriel, fatally stabbed at Kiel's subway station, he did not submit to death. He did not choose to lay his life down. And so we weep for him and for his family and for a city where a housing crisis and opioid epidemic and lack of adequate mental health care means vulnerable people enact violence and vulnerable people suffer loss. In Nashville, at a Presbyterian school, nine-year-olds Evelyn, William, and Haley, and those who served and taught them, Mike, Catherine, and Cynthia, lost their lives, not because they chose to lay them down, but because the idolatry of a nation will not protect their most vulnerable. And cycles of violence and abuse continue unabated. There are families in our city today and this week and families in our greater family of faith who enter this Holy Week with the deep grief of loss in their spirits. Though death has been defeated, it continues to lash out with such grave evil in our world. And though sin is undone, it continues to mar the whole creation until the new creation comes. These things are cause for our grief also. To not pass over these stories, to not forget these names and these families and many more like them. The many stories of trouble and sorrow and pain in our world. To not forget these things, but to linger on them, to care for them, is the invitation of our Lord. We are invited in this Holy Week to look at the great sacrifice which our Lord willingly bears for us. And in that sorrow, weep for a world which needs such dire rescue. To recognize the depth of the suffering which is present all around us and to know that the pain we see in Christ is the experience he must truly bear to be God with us. You see, in these actions, Jesus becomes not simply God near us, not simply God among us, but by enduring what he does and experiencing the very depths of the pain that we remember this week, he is truly God with all who are suffering, all who are broken, all who are abused and forgotten and lost. Jesus walks toward death to claim his victory over it. It is not in entering Jerusalem, but in entering the grave that is Christ's triumphal entry. And he brings life with him that no one can take away. Jesus identifies with those who have known the greatest sorrow. And from that place of utter darkness, he charts a new path to life 
and peace, such that even our weeping will one day pass away because the power of sin and death will have passed away as well. Until that day, we share in the sorrow of Christ for the world that he loves, and we hear his invitation again and again to join him in that work, that we also may be moved from weeping to identifying with the sick, the poor, the naked, the imprisoned, and all those who remain captives to sin, that we might die to ourselves in Christ, and having died a death like his, to truly know that our lives are hid with Christ on high, that oppressor or empire or death or hell cannot separate us from his love. This is our hope, and it is the hope of all who know the pain which they see in Jesus' face as he walks to the place of his death. And it is the hope of the whole world that we need not weep for our Lord. Rather, we may take joy that he wept for us and chose to die that we might live. Truly, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. I want to invite you to a time of reflection. And since we've talked about looking on sorrow, to take a couple of minutes now to think of situations of sorrow and pain in your life, in our city, in the world, and to pray for them. You have these palm fronds with you, and there are instructions in the front page of your bulletin that you can fold this palm strip into a cross. As you pray, pray turning sorrow into a cross, turning sorrow into joy by the work of Christ. So that's an invitation for now and an invitation for this week is to not hurry past suffering, but to see it in the presence of our Lord. So, an invitation to Holy Week and an invitation to this time. Pray for the suffering of this world. Thank you.